Well, thanks for being here this morning. Um, we are continuing through our study in the book of Exodus. And so um, if you've got a Bible or a phone with the app with the Bible on it, turn to Exodus, go to chapter seven. We're going to be there uh, in just a couple of minutes. If you're visiting with us, we're super thankful that you're here. And uh, we're just kind of taking our time, working our way through this book of Exodus because there's an awful lot. Uh, it's a rich, rich story and a rich moment in history that still has implications for us today. So um, we're, we're working our way through a little bit at a time. You know, there are some things in our world and in our popular culture today that uh, aren't favored. There are some things that, that are not popular today, but I'm still kind of thankful for. Do you have anything that isn't particularly popular in the culture, but you still appreciate it? You're still thankful for it? Like, for example, me, I like um, the band Hanson. Now, many of you have no clue who they are, and, and you know, God bless you. Jesus still loves you. But Hanson was a, a band of three brothers uh, in the 90s. And they looked like girls, to be honest with you, but they had this long blonde hair. They sang a song, um, ba, ba, da, ba, da, ba, do, uh, okay? That'll be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. And uh, Hanson, never popular whatsoever, um, but I liked them. I was thankful for him. I got invited to go see Hanson in concert at the Hollywood Bowl. The Hollywood Bowl is a huge, massive venue. Tens of thousands of people can fit in it. There were five males at the whole experience, three of which were on stage performing. And the other two was me, and no joke, the box next to us was David Hasselhoff. So I don't know now if you're more creeped out about me or David Hasselhoff, but Hanson, they're still around. Go look them up. They're a phenomenal band, not popular, but I'm very, very thankful for. Um, I'll tell you also what's not popular today is uh, swim shirts. Okay, if you go to the beach or you go to the pool, no one ever looks good. No one who wears a swim shirt is popular, ever. But I have not removed my shirt in 20 years. There is nothing about what's underneath here that anyone on planet Earth needs to see ever. And so even though they're not popular, I'm very thankful for the swim shirt. And everybody around me is thankful for the swim shirt, even though it's popular. It is one of those weird panic sort of things that you, you know, you go to the hotel and you go to the beach and, and then you open up your luggage and you, you realize, oh my goodness, oh no. I said that once, oh no. And my wife said, oh, what's the matter? Did you forget your trunks? I said, no, it's worse. I forgot the swim shirt. And she went, oh no. Everybody's just gonna be stunned because it's, it's, it's really like a beacon under here. It's so bright and shiny. And so the swim shirt, not popular, but I am very, very thankful for. All kidding aside, there are a tremendous amount of things about God, about the way that God operates, maybe even some aspects of his character that our culture does not find popular today. 
And yet, even though these aspects of God or the way that he operates aren't always popular, I am still thankful for them. Popularity should not be the gauge by which we measure something's value. And what we're looking at today in the word of God in this particular moment in the Exodus story is filled with a handful of things that aren't necessarily popular. They're not necessarily things that we like to read, that we like to hear, or even that I would necessarily like to teach on. And yet, I'm still thankful. When you kind of lean into what's going on here, even though it's difficult, and it's, I'm not sure how popular it was back then. I know talking about this stuff isn't super popular now. There's still a lot to be thankful for in here. What we're diving into in Exodus chapter 7 today is the plagues. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you haven't been around church very much, you're familiar with the, the story. Moses has now been called by God to go be used by God to free his people out of slavery in Egypt. They've been held captive as slaves for some 400 years. And now God has said, enough's enough. I'm sending you in Moses, and to do that, you've got to go toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, who was the king, the ruler, really worshipped as a god himself, Pharaoh was, in the land of Egypt. And Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world at this particular moment in time. And God has called Moses to go in and to to have a showdown. And... uh, God's going to use a series of plagues uh, to really break Pharaoh's hard heart, work on Pharaoh's hard heart, and bring about the freedom from slavery of these these people of God. Exodus chapter 7, the first plague is the plague of blood. And God is going to do a miracle here in turning the Nile River into blood. And he's commanded Moses and Aaron to play their part in it. And then in verse 20 of Exodus chapter 7, it says this, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and his officials. And he raised the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad the Egyptians could not drink water from it. There was blood throughout the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same thing by their occult practices. So they go on and mimic it. For the first series of plagues, Pharaoh's magicians or sorcerers uh, make some attempt to mimic the same sort of thing. And a couple of times they're successful. We don't know if it's demonic or literally able to uh, copy it or it was just a sleight of hand sort of trick. But eventually and pretty soon the magicians can't keep up and they cannot match. But in this case, they did. So Pharaoh's heart was hard. And he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned around, went into his palace, and didn't even take this to heart. 
All the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink because they could not drink the water from the river. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. There's two repetitions. If you continue to read through this passage here, you go all the way up through chapter 12. And the 10 plagues get uh, explained. And there's repetition. And here's the two things that get repeated over the next handful of chapters. The first thing is a series of plagues. And so the author wants to put on our radar the importance that God's doing something in multiple plagues. Second repetition is the hardening of Pharaoh's heart gets mentioned every single time, multiple times over the next several chapters. And so again, God wants to impress upon us something about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And so I'd like to talk about those two repetitions. The first one, the the plagues. The plagues were these 10 judgments from our God on a wicked, evil nation of Egypt. They were these 10 judgments on Egypt, and they were actually confronting a whole bunch of little g, lowercase g, Egyptian gods. Every single plague, if you go do the study, uh, had something to do with combating a, a, an Egyptian god. And in so doing, God's kind of dismantling the theology of the Egyptians. He, he's proving that there isn't anything to these little g gods and that he himself is the only true God. And he's using a series of plagues to do that. You might remember that Pharaoh, Pharaoh had actually said, I'm not going to let the people go because I don't know who this Lord is. And in response to that, now God is going to show Pharaoh who he is. Can I just say real quick, be careful what you ask for sometimes. Be careful what you wish for. And Pharaoh's already stubborn. And he's saying, no, I'm not. The Lord told you to let the people go. Well, I don't care because I don't know the Lord. And so now over a series of events, the Lord is going to reveal who he is and simultaneously reveal that there is nothing to the gods that Pharaoh looks to and that Pharaoh himself shouldn't even be worshipped as a god. What's going on here is a series of harsh judgments that God's going to use to bring about freedom. But what also is going on here is there's an educational agenda that God has here. Because God could have sent like a giant magic carpet in to rescue all one or two or three million of the Israelites that were slaves. And the magic carpet could have swooped in and he could have said, everybody get on board and I'll just bolt you out of here. He could have snapped his fingers or done the bewitched, you know, nose wiggle or whatever. And all of a sudden, everybody is out. There wasn't some formula that he's working on here that was necessary to bring about these plagues. But rather, through these plagues and these judgments, there was this education that he was bringing, again, about who he is as Almighty God 
and an education both for the Egyptians and an education for God's people. Because remember, both audiences were going to be there. Both groups of people were going to have a front row seat, as it were, to what God is up to and what the Egyptian fake lowercase gods are not capable of doing. There's an educational agenda. Now, that education, I think, would have huge impacts on Egypt. It it was beginning to equip the Israelite people of a greater sense of how powerful their God was, and they were going to need that heading into this next season. But then also simultaneously, these stories of what happened here traveled really far. And so this was an education for the world. And then even how crazy it is here, thousands of years later, for all of us to be sitting here, and God is still teaching us about what he's like, even through difficult, challenging, unpopular moves and circumstances. But I don't want us to get hung up on the plague so much and miss. I don't want us to get hung up just on the judgments of God, even though that's very clear here. Because I see 10 judgments, 10 plagues that God initiates. But I also see 10 chances that God gives to Pharaoh and subsequently the Egyptian people. You ever stop and think how many chances God gives to you? You ever stop and think about how many times you haven't received the consequences to particular actions? You ever stop and think about just how gracious and patient and long-suffering God is with you or with other people? Man, he's put up with a lot in me. And I read this, and yes, there's some harsh judgments coming here for a good purpose. But I also see 10 chances offered to an incredibly wicked man. I mean, Pharaoh is honestly like Hitler times 10 or 100 or 1,000. And he's giving this man 10 chances to turn, 10 opportunities to repent. And of the 10 plagues, six of them, Pharaoh gets a warning first that they're coming. Has God ever warned you about something through his word or through a friend or through a set of circumstances? Hey, I'm not bringing the consequence yet, but I'm putting on your radar. If you keep going this direction, it's not going to be great for you. And he warns you, that's still an extension of his grace. Six of the 10 times of these plagues, he brings warning And that, to me, is such an evidence of the grace of God, even in the midst of the justice of God that's getting laid out. So there's the plagues. There's a pattern in Scripture that follows a little bit of the pattern that we see in this moment. Here's a pattern that's gone on in the Scriptures. It's a pattern that goes on in the Exodus story. It's a pattern that you've probably experienced in your life. Here's the pattern. There is a revelation from God. There's then time that he allows for you and I to figure out what we're going to do or how we're going to respond to what he's revealed. And then God moves. God kicks the plan, the promises, the purposes into another gear. 
Sometimes it's game over. Sometimes it's fifth gear, sixth gear. We're really going to take new ground here. But the pattern is I'm going to reveal something, and then I'm going to give you some time. And then after a certain amount of time, then we're on the move. And that's what's going on here. And I, I love that pattern because really what ends up getting to Pharaoh is just the revelation of God. What gets to Pharaoh is, wait, you are God and I'm not. Now, when you and I have that opportunity to have God reveal himself to us, for some of you, that is a humbling for some of you, that's like, a, oh my goodness, God, you are powerful, you are strong, I'm not God, and oh, thank you, God. Others of you, finding out what God has said, what God wants, who God is, it actually hardens your heart. And we see that that's more the case with Pharaoh here. That his response is not humbling, his response is not softening, to the revelation of God, but rather a, a hardening. And so the plagues are a repetition, and then Pharaoh's hard heart is a repetition. Let's talk about that for a minute. In chapters 4 through 14, there's a bunch of references to Pharaoh's heart. Let me tell you this, if you're taking notes. Ten of the hard-heartedness references in those chapters are ascribed to Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart or Pharaoh's heart was just already hard. 10 of the 20 references, Pharaoh was hardening his heart. The other 10, it says that the Lord, God, Yahweh, is hardening Pharaoh's heart. The first five plagues, it is Pharaoh that's hardening his own heart. It's Pharaoh that's doing it. It's Pharaoh's heart that's hard. It's Pharaoh actively hardening his own heart. And then the majority of the back half of the plagues, it's the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart. That's helpful, instructive, because God isn't going to go against our free will. He's going to allow us to lean into it more. But in this case, Pharaoh already had a hard heart. Pharaoh already had stubbornness. Pharaoh already had a plan in mind that was evil and disgusting and not good. And then God gave him over to that. So about the seventh plague, now God has started to harden Pharaoh's heart. And about the seventh plague in Exodus chapter 9, Exodus chapter 9, we're, we're into the seventh plague, and there, there have been a handful of really awful plagues already. Some that have tried the annoyance, the, the comfort of the Egyptian people. Some now that have gone and directly attacked the financial stability of the nation. All of them toppling these fake different Egyptian gods. And now there's this interesting 
plague of hail, but it's fiery hail. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever seen that or experienced that. I have not. Hail is typically big chunks of what? Ice. And fire and ice don't go together. But in this particular case, there is this raining down of fire simultaneously with massive hail, or other scholars say that it was actually kind of uh, fire inside of ice. Regardless, this is something that no little G God could ever pull off. The ice God would not consult with the fire God and team up together. This is something that only the one true God could ever pull off. And at this point, seven plagues in, it seems that Pharaoh's heart starts to waffle a little bit. It's been hard on his own. And then the Lord's started to harden Pharaoh's heart. And now it seems like maybe there's some hope. Maybe there's a glimmer here. And in Exodus chapter 9... Verse 27, look real quick at Pharaoh's response after this hail. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron, verse 27, and he said this, I have sinned this time. Whoa. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the guilty ones. Man, that's quite a confession, that's, that appears to be quite a, a change of heart, doesn't it? He says, there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't need to stay any longer. And the hail ceases. And what seems like an honest confession turns out to be not the case. What it turns out to be is just another moment where Pharaoh's stalling and his heart may have softened for a moment, but as soon as the consequences stop, then Pharaoh's heart goes back to being hard and he says, forget it. I know what I just said, but I didn't mean it. I know what I just said, but I'm not going to let your people go. He backpedals. And from this point on, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. God's the only one doing the hardening from this point on. There was a confession, and now God is more active from this point forward. As the plagues escalate, God is now more active in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. I have a hard time with this because it sounds to me like God is taking away Pharaoh's free will. And this question comes up an awful lot. How fair is it? If, if Pharaoh wanted to do the right thing and God wouldn't let him, I mean, what, what, what good God does that? Here's a couple things, and I'm no expert on this, but you can go do some phenomenal study, and it's just this rich, deep well that just only gets better and better, but you got to go do the study more than we're going to do outside on a Sunday morning here together. But I will tell you this. When I was studying these... Uh, chapters this last couple of weeks, I actually found that there were two different words being used in the Hebrew to describe the hardening. There's one word in Hebrew describing hard or hardening that means to make heavy, 
And if you kind of unpack it more, it means to have a stubborn heart. And that's really what we kind of see, right? We see when, when Pharaoh says, no, no, God, I know who you are. I know what you're doing. I don't want anything to do with it. He's got a heart that's been made heavy. He made his own heart heavy. He's just got a stubborn heart. Have you ever had a stubborn heart? Have you ever known what's right, known what's wrong, and done the wrong thing anyway? Have you ever had those moments where you, you just go, you know what, I, I don't want to obey. I don't want to do what you want me to do. Yeah, we all have. But Pharaoh had been stubborning his heart. The word that gets used when Pharaoh's heart was hard or hardening his heart was the one where it was made stubborn. But from this point on, from the hail on, when the Lord is hardening Pharaoh's heart, there's a different Hebrew word used for the hardening. And this Hebrew word isn't make stubborn. This one is make strong. And and so when God hardens Pharaoh's heart from this point on, he's actually making Pharaoh's heart strong. It's more like giving Pharaoh a courageous heart. And what that means is more like this. God did not take away Pharaoh's free will, but rather God enhanced Pharaoh's free will. God knew where Pharaoh's heart was at. God knew what Pharaoh really wanted to do. He knew the desires of Pharaoh's heart. And in a moment of waffling, God said, I get where you want to go, and I get you're even waffling a little bit. I'm actually going to make your heart stronger to do what you really want to do. That's different. It doesn't always make me feel any better. But, but what God does here is more like saying, I'm going to allow you to go the direction you really want to go. I'm going to allow your heart to go the direction it desires. It's going to be for my glory, God says. And it's going to have these huge purposes. But I'm going to actually, in this moment, enhance your free will. You guys, that terrifies me. That's scary to me. It it starts to bleed into where we started. You know, that there's a bunch of unpopular stuff today about the character and the nature of God. And um, this story touches on a bunch of them. Here's three that I could see right off the bat. Here's three things that are really unpopular today about God. One is the judgments of God. That's really unpopular today. Nobody likes to talk about that. People in the church, we don't really like to hear about it. People that don't know God, we definitely don't want to hear about it or talk about the judgment of God. But I've just got to remind us, like, one, God is a God of justice. He is the only holy, righteous, perfect, good one in existence. And he knows what he's doing. Also got to remind us that when it comes to the judgments of God, Pharaoh, in his evil heart and behavior, had mandated the killing of 
thousands, if not tens of thousands of male children. He had forced into brutal slavery millions of people. He had prevented the worship of millions of people. It wasn't like this was like a great guy. And the judgment was just, but that's still unpopular. We don't really like the judgment of God until we're the one in the crosshairs, right? And as soon as us, you know, that uh, is receiving judgment, we're like, no way. I don't think that's right. You could judge everybody else. Just don't judge me. Another thing that's not popular today is God carrying out plans by any means necessary. That's not, that's not popular today, that God's just going to do whatever he needs to do according to accomplish his purposes. Totally not popular. But again, I just got to remind us that, you know, the good side of that is there is no rogue nation. There's no megalomaniac that's going to rise up and be able to thwart God's promises or plans. No evil, disgusting person, human being, is going to be able to thwart God's plans. He will not let that happen. He will reveal himself. He'll give some time with a whole lot of patience to see how people are going to respond. And then he'll kick into a different gear. He may bring an end to it. He may allow it to accelerate. But we know that he is someday going to bring an end to all of the junk and all of the hurt and all of the hardship. You and I are living at a moment in history right now. We're at a moment in history right now where I believe we're in that time category of the pattern. God's revealed a whole bunch about himself. The end times have not yet come. I think we're on our way. We've got some time right now. And in that time, there's a lot of God's patience. There's a ton of his grace. It seems like God's being slow. But his slowness is just this patience that his desire would lead to salvation. His desire would lead to a change of heart while he's waiting. I don't know. There's something oddly comforting about a God who's not going to let a rogue nation or a megalomaniac run away with his plans. It's comforting unless you're a megalomaniac or a rogue nation, and then it's not comforting. The third thing that I don't think is popular today is that God would just kind of give us over to what our hearts really want. I don't think it's popular today that God would allow us to chase something that isn't him. We like the idea of free will an awful lot, and we don't want anyone or anything impending upon that. And God's not going to break our free will. He still gives us choice. God loves you too much to force you to follow him. But at the same time, he knows where your heart's at. And if you just want to keep going a certain direction, there might come a time where he actually hardens your heart. In other words, he might enhance your free will. He might say, okay, I get it. You don't want me. You don't want my way. And so I'm going to give you the courage 
to go for it. I'm going to give you a courageous heart to rebel against me. And even in that, you guys, even in that, he does that so that you and I will see that the idols we're chasing, the little g-gods that we're worshiping, us being in the driver's seat, we are not very good gods. So even when he turns us over, it's kind of this odd extension of this grace that just says, okay, I'm not going to force you. And you might experience some bumps and bruises over this next season. And maybe that'll allow you to see that what you're chasing really isn't that good for you. And that being with me is really, really special. It's really, really good. And I'll let you do that if you need to. Well, the Lord gives Pharaoh over to what his heart really wants to do all the way up through the last plague, which is the death of every firstborn Egyptian. And we'll see God's provision starting next week for God's people in the midst of that plague. But I'll tell you three quick things that I'm thankful for. These unpopular things of his judgment and him using any means necessary to carry out his plan and the unpopularity of him giving us over to what our hearts really want. I I am thankful for a God who is really patient. I'm so thankful, you guys, that God gives us time, that he reveals himself, and then he lets us go, yeah, I'm on board with that, or no, I I don't want to follow you. I'm actually thankful for the patience. I'm thankful for the slowness that he doesn't zap us every single time we do something wrong. I'm thankful for him allowing me to see the error of my ways before stuff gets catastrophic, you know? I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for a God who will eventually say, though, game over. I'm thankful that it's not just extended time forever. I'm thankful that there is a game over. There was a game over for Pharaoh. There was a game over for the Israelite people. There was a game over eventually for waiting for Jesus to come the first time. There's going to be a game over again when Jesus comes a second time. I'm glad that we're not stuck just in this. Amen. Right on. Woohoo. Because this is not my favorite season of history. I'm glad that this will come to an end and there's something a whole lot better coming that comes under the kingship of God in a whole new way. And I'll tell you this, lastly, I'm thankful hugely. Like for any of you or any people that are listening that just, that have a soft heart. I'm thankful for any softening of the heart that God does in your life or friends and family that you're concerned about or friends or whatever that you work with. I'm thankful for softening hearts. Because in this time of grace that he's given, 10 chances, 20 chances, some of you have been given 200 chances. I'm thankful for that. But what I'm also praying for is that there's a softening of the heart that takes place. The heart in the scripture is incredibly important. It's referred to between eight and 900 times in the scriptures. And it refers to your emotions, your intellect, your will, 
your spiritual life. It's the inner you. Your heart is the part of you that drives you. Proverbs 4 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Another translation says, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Your heart determines every aspect of your life from what you say to what you do. Do you have a soft heart today? Do you have a broken heart today? Do you have a numb heart today? Does your heart feel kind of empty or does your heart feel beat up? Do you have a full heart today? Is it an encouraged heart? Or would you say, you know what, I think my heart is hard, at least part of it. And if so, then in humility, you can just ask him to work on your heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all else. Only God knows the heart. The psalmist David in Psalm 51 prays, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What if Pharaoh had done that? David prayed in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. And again, I I don't know. I'm just thankful for these things about God, and I'm praying for a soft heart for myself. I think my heart's tired right now. I don't think it's hard. But I'm praying constantly, God, create in me a clean heart. Soften my heart. Thank you for the time and the patience that you've given me, God. But while I've got this time and your grace and your patience, please keep working on my heart. You pray that and he will. He will. He was taking care of all of his people, even under an icky heart of somebody else. He's taking care of you right now. And so gracious heavenly father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your justice, even though it's hard to process sometimes. We thank you that you'll do whatever it takes to accomplish your purposes. Work on our hearts, Lord. Keep softening us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for our six weeks of summer as we continue our journey through the book of Exodus. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. Glad that you were able to tune in. Um, If you haven't yet, jump over to restorationaz.org. We'd love to get connected with you, get to know a little bit about you. You can also um, see who we are, what we're about, and um, yeah, begin the journey. And um, if you haven't gotten plugged into a local congregation yet, we just, uh, that's something that we really, really value. Um, And restoration definitely does not need to be the place, but um, for you to get plugged in somewhere, we feel like is really, really important. So um, be prayerful and mindful about that and consider that. And um, yeah, we say this every week, but we mean it. Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.